Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. A rare, satisfying win for the New York Knicks, 104-94 over the Indiana Pacers. R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle combined for 62 points, Alex. Uh, I could ask you what are we going to talk about, but I think I just answered my own question. Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Uh, but we'll also talk about a little bit of Mitchell Robinson, how he came out on top in this matchup, which was the first time in a while against the Pacers, at least to our memory. Uh, Evan Fournier's continued struggles and a little bit more about some of the other guys on the bench in this honestly very rousing win over the Indiana Pacers that was very reminiscent of the 20 to 21 Knicks. So lots to talk about next. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. We wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms, including on YouTube, soaring past 500 subscriptions. Would love to get to 1,000. So that means if like 450 of you, all you have to do is subscribe once. We're not asking anyone to subscribe twice. It's so easy. Please just go and do it whenever you have a second. I am Gavin Shaw a play-by-play broadcaster currently prepping for the Hoop Hall Tournament. That's in about 10 days. I hope you'll join me in Flow, on Flow Sports for that. Going to be a lot of fun. A lot of the best high school teams in the country. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the best Knicks website in the country and other countries, the Strickland. And uh, they have a fantastic Patreon that you should certainly check out to see all their content and so much more. And the New York Knicks coming off a fantastic victory, 104-94 to over the Indiana Pacers. And this game, as we mentioned in the prelude, was defined by R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. But Alex, we were going to start off with R.J. Barrett building off two really solid games and exploding into arguably his best performance of the season right up there with that Pelicans game. Yeah, 32 points, 12-20 shooting, 2-5 from deep. Six of eight from the free throw line. That's always good to see out of RJ as well. Eight boards, three assists, only two turnovers, a steal. I mean, what more could you have asked for? He comes out in the first quarter and, you know, he acknowledged this post game to Rebecca Harlow, like in his, <laughs> is RJ the most like, like monotone, like even keeled interviewee of all time? I mean, I, I struggle to think of anyone. Can you think of anyone that's, that's more even keeled than RJ in a post game interview? That's a great question. No, I think he's number one. I think it's because he's been in the spotlight for such a long time. So he's, just, long. he's just so used to it. It's not It's not weird to him at all. Yeah, she's like, RJ, you just had the game of your life. Tell us about it. He's like, well, I thought I played pretty good. You know, <laughs> I don't know. The ball was moving. I was hitting my shots. Anyway, so uh, so he said in that post-game interview, though, that he didn't think that he came out with the right amount of fire against Toronto the other day. And I think we would probably all agree that none of the Knicks really came out with the appropriate amount of fire in that game. And just came out and made it his mission to establish himself early in this game and had some really impressive looks. I mean, I, I think two of my favorites, one was uh, he 
so he had actually, I guess I'll, I'll do three, you know, and they were all things that I think that he can do on a, on a nightly basis, because if you could do it against miles Turner and company, then who can't you do it against? Quite frankly, like he's the best shot blocker in the league right now. He had one where he just sort of put Turner on his hip, you know, used a screen to start getting towards the hoop with his right hand. Mind you, I, I feel like he did his best work with his right hand in this game, other than jump shooting, obviously. But for a guy who's a, a very pronounced lefty, you know, he's starting to look really great with righty layups and stuff. Uh, and, you know, just kind of managed to put put Turner on his hip a bit, you know, as well as his defender. And then just kind of like head faked slash, you know, stalled his dribble, did a little start stop and managed to just sort of freeze up Turner enough that he was able to just get in, extend his arm, put the put the ball right on the square and get it in. Uh, the next one that I thought was amazing was he gets into the lane against Turner again and get sort of a one-on-one matchup with him and pulls out this just like gorgeous like like half half spin to one side sort of and then brings it back around and just loops up and under Turner for an again another righty layup when Turner surely thought like oh well lefty's going left so time to you know get ready to block him and then all of a sudden just whips the other way goes up for a righty layup just a gorgeous move probably one of the top five moves I've ever seen RJ pull off uh and then the final one, you know, again, just sort of uses his pace. He was one-on-one with, um, uh, oh my God, I don't know what, Tory Craig. I don't know why his name escaped me for a second. One-on-one with Tory Craig deep out in the perimeter and takes him off the dribble calmly, you know, protects the ball for as long as he had to, gets a screen from Mitchell Robinson and, you know, kind of just calmly like works his way in, doesn't try to, like he explodes a little bit to get around the screen, but mostly then just times himself out, lures both defenders to him. And then just snakes it into Mitch, who then eventually got the bucket off of it. I mean, it was just gorgeous possession after gorgeous possession for RJ in this game. And I was super duper impressed with everything we saw from him. Like, it's funny because we've been talking a lot lately about like, is he actually a superstar in the making? And this is one of those games where probably for the next month now we're going to be like, yeah, but remember the Indiana game? (laughs) Yeah. Because he looks in games like these, like this could be a nightly occurrence for him because it just comes so natural. Yeah, I mean, he was he, he was incredible, right? And I think he really benefited from having the previous two games where he got to be the guy. And as fantastic as Julius Randle was tonight, and we're going to get into it, Julius was making hay playing off of R.J. Barrett, right? Obviously, the 19 points in the first quarter, the best quarter of his career, one of the better quarters any Nick has ever had in, in team history. Um, but he came out with that same assertiveness. And, and he I think his mentality was, I found something these last two games. I'm not giving up that momentum for anyone. And I think he really benefited from the fact that there was no Kemba Walker. And you had Alec Burks in there as a pseudo point guard. And so it was sort of on someone to step up and create offense. And RJ said, I'm, I'm going to take that on my shoulders. And I think he realized really early in the game that, oh, Indiana doesn't really have anyone who can stick with me. So I'm just going to keep going to the rim over and over and over again. And that was, that was basically his night, right? It wasn't, it, he never really got hot from three. Um, never last year. Like a lot of times when he'd have his best games, it would be because he, he'd be getting into those like snake dribble elbow jumpers and he would get hot from there. It was just over and over again, the same thing. And to your point, Indiana couldn't stop him. And I think once he started getting those layups, he started feeling himself. And then you mentioned the post move that he pulled out on Turner. That was, that was really gorgeous. And it set up in the fourth quarter. He had two different like little slip passes to Mitch, for dunks. And, and you see with RJ, there's all this skill and savvy there, but he needs to both have like the confidence to get to it. And he has to establish himself as a threat scoring the ball to get to his passing game. And he was able to do just that tonight. Even, even the very first bucket he had in the night, I really, really liked because he did 
uh, maybe for, for us, it's called the Nats dribble. For him, it's called the Godfather dribble, I guess, where he just circled around the rim, got all the way back to the middle, double pump, missed a shot, but got to the free throw line. And that told me right away, like, all right, this is a guy who's looking to score. That was him just being super duper aggressive. There wasn't really anything there. And he created something out of nothing. So to me, this was a defining night for his season. And I just hope he, like, whatever Tibbs has to do for him not to lose it. I know we've mentioned a lot of times him potentially playing more with the bench could be a way to keep him aggressive. Uh, whatever Tibbs has to do to keep this R.J. Barrett there, the Knicks are absolutely a different team when they get it. Yeah, and, you know, I think it, there could be something to, said, to be said, too, for just sort of putting another pseudo, you know, primary ball handler out there with him. You know, like another, like, let's say that you replace... Evan Fournier with Emmanuel quickly in the starting lineup, which putting quick in the starting lineup seems to be the one thing that is like a hard line can never happen thing for Tibbs. I don't know. I don't know what it is that he just, you know, he doesn't want to even like entertain the possibility, but without good quickly played to end this game, you know, I think if you could start creating more opportunities for RJ to initiate, like he did in this game. And as you said, let Randall sort of play off of RJ more so than the other way around, then you know, maybe there's something to be said for just sort of having your starting backcourt both be like more or less shooting guards. I mean, I think that quickly has shown definitely some some primary ball handling uh, capabilities this year, which that's not to say that you don't take that away from him. Like you can still have him run some plays, particularly like pick and rolls with Mitch. He has a pretty good chemistry, you know, stuff like that. But he's also a great spot up three point shooter, as is Alec Burks. So if you can get those two guys out there with RJ and Randall and have RJ and Randall sort of handle most of the initiating, then I think you could potentially be really cooking with gas. I think that could be a good lineup for the Knicks to explore going forward. And it's one that they, if I'm not mistaken, closed with for basically the whole fourth quarter in this game. And, you know, they did a really good job of, of, you know, keeping the Pacers at arm's length in a situation where in other games this year, they probably would have let the foot off the gas a little bit and sort of, you know, let the Pacers back in and then set themselves up for like a potentially dangerous situation in the final minute or so. Yeah, I no, I think I think it's a good point. And there was a I mean, you referenced the 2021 like feeling that this game had. I, I had the exact same feeling like there was. There was a collective confidence and swagger, I think, from having two guys going when at most the Knicks seemingly only ever have one guy going in a fourth quarter this year. But that's a conversation we can get into in just a sec, because first we have to tell everyone about uh, one of our favorite sponsors in Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helps save them over $100 million. Like Matthew B., who says, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 for the year on my SiriusXM bill, saved $840 a year on car insurance. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day, and uh, the Knicks... First listen was R.J. Barrett tonight. Their second 
was certainly Julius Randle, an incredible 39 minutes, 30 points, 16 boards, four assists. When it was all said and done, you could you could make the case he even had a better game than RJ Barrett, Alex. Um, I was it was it was a pleasant surprise, especially because early on I thought he looked a little like reticent, maybe a little out of shape, um, kind of indecisive. And I, I was it wasn't shocking to me. Like I, in my mind, I was thinking he's just going to gut it out tonight. He's probably not a hundred percent conditioned, but he knows the team needs him. And I, I respected that. I, I wasn't going to go after me, but if he had a crappy game and then he goes and has maybe his best game of the year, one of his top two or three games of the year. Yeah, it really was. And you know, he, he did, he sort of found his rhythm as the game went on, but the best part was that he just sort of like found his way into his office. You know what I mean? Like he, he started off the game looking like maybe he was going to force it a little bit and, you know, there was a couple, there was like one or two bad defensive possessions early uh, that a few people were kind of ragging on on Twitter with, with good reason. And, you know, you started thinking like, oh, no, like, you know, as good as RJ is in this game, like RJ alone is not going to be able to get it done. And, you know, that's always the case with the Knicks. And, you know, once player X who managed to be hot cools down, then the whole team just kind of falls into a pit. But luckily, when RJ kind of cooled down for a little bit in the third quarter, Julius was right there to to step in. Uh, I think he finished with like 13 points in the third quarter. I know he at least had 11 at one point. And, you know, he was he was hitting like the difficult two pointers that we really, you know, got used to. Oh, he had 14 in the third quarter. Wow. Uh, played the whole third quarter. But he started making those difficult, you know, mid-range shots that we got so accustomed to last year that were sort of his bread and butter. You know, he, he uh, it was just like, finding his spots and and it looked really confident and in rhythm you know it's so hard to describe but there's just you can tell when Julius shoots the ball and you can tell with most players in the league I feel like when they feel like it's going to go in they act differently they look differently you know and Julius you know a lot of times lately he has that I, I think with Julius mostly it's he sort of does like an over exaggerated follow-through I think when he's not sure if it's going to go in or not I especially noticed that on his threes Today, it was just kind of like it, he was just flicking them up there and they were going in and he looked extremely confident. He looked like he was playing with a lot of happiness, too, which like, you know, a lot of the Knicks have talked about that. Like, we just had to find the joy in basketball again. Julius himself said that at one point. And, you know, he looked like he found it. And he talked about uh, to Rebecca Harlow previous, prior to the game that like, it, so he apparently with COVID protocols didn't get symptoms. He just it, like he he contracted it, tested positive a couple times, but never experienced any symptoms from COVID, thankfully. And so he said that he basically just went home to Dallas and hung out with his family for a few days and sort of unwound and, you know, got himself got himself right mentally. So he said, and it really showed in this game, I, I really thought that he was in more of like a Zen place. You know, it, it just looked like he was a lot happier and having a really good time out there and, and really enjoying just playing well with his co-star and RJ Barrett. I think the only thing I would caution is he said the same thing during the Christmas game, right? He's like, I think someone asked him after the game and he's like, oh yeah, I'm finally having fun. I just got to play with joy. And then he had two crappy games after that. So I guess we'll see how long, it, how long it lasts. But to your point, yeah, I mean, it looked like, it looked like we were on the clock for a year and he, he came out and he was like, oh, was, were those were those real games before? I didn't I didn't realize that this is this is who I am. I, I'm, I'm not that other guy because I mean, he was, again, came out like really struggled, like, uh, Kiefer Sykes, who, who was apparently an all NBA point guard, picked his pocket. Um, then he had um, he had a shot clock violation because he was just super indecisive. 
He um, overpassed when he had a basically a layup in transition and passed it up. Um, then like got a, a switch and didn't take advantage of it um, with uh, Dwayne Washington. And I was like, all right, here we go. One of those nights. And then all of a sudden, like he just gets going like nasty pull up over O'Shea Brissett had that really funny play to end the first quarter where his pass got deflected right back to him. And he nailed the shot at the buzzer. Um, I thought him and Burke showed off really good chemistry. Like there was, there was one play where, where Randall slipped a screen early and caught it on the run and then kicked out a pass to, and I can't remember who, but someone for a wide open three. Um, they had an inversion of that where Burke slipped a screen and ended up getting fouls. Uh, Randall had, I, I thought one of his smartest plays of the game came late in the fourth quarter where Sabonis was guarding him and Sykes was sort of leaning over in his general direction and Randall saw it and, and all he did was just zip a pass to Burks and Burks ended up getting a lob to Mitchell Robinson, but it was all because Randall, who all year has been so slow to make decisions, was just decisive and made a simple play. So the, the best thing I'll say about this game for Randall, beyond the fact that obviously he got hot from mid-range and got uh, relative, yeah, I mean, not, not hot from three, but made a couple of timely ones, uh, he just, he played a very smart game. And that's something that, uh, it's an adjective we could not apply to Julius most of this year. And that's honestly all the Knicks need from him. And I've said it a million times. I said in the first segment, I'll, I'll say it one final time now. He's so much better when he, doesn't have the burden of just creating everything. And RJ took that off of him. And I think that allowed him to just be like, oh, okay, I just got to play smart. And that's, that's all he did. It helps that he got hot, but the bigger thing is just that he made good decisions. Yeah. Decision-making is, is all it is for him. You know, it's like, Hey, Julius, like maybe just keep your dribble a little tighter and, you know, then you won't get it stripped away as much. And like he learned from his mistake, you know, with uh Kiefer Sutherland, uh, I mean, uh, Kiefer, <laughs> no, okay. you know, I was making my joke and then I forgot the guy's actual name. Uh, Keeper yeah. Sykes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I, I I just double checked because I was like, is it was it Sutherland this whole time? No, <laughs> no, no. That's the twenty four guy. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it's it, he he gets the ball poked away on that that early position. It, actually, real quick, shout out to Keeper Sykes and shout out to Dwayne Washington too. Like for two guys that apparently had barely played NBA action, they looked really composed and really good in this game. Dwayne, um, Dwayne Washington has a little has a little D-Lo for another Ohio State guard. They're they're kind of I really like his game. He, he's really yeah, good. he was he was really good. I really liked everything out of him. But you know, like back to Julius, like it, the decision making just just crisped up, you know. And it seems like so often this year, if teams said, well, first off, what was nice was he didn't have to absorb quite so many doubles because RJ was getting some doubles, and so Julius was getting some single coverage to work with, and then or or they at least knew like we can't double on Julius because that means the RJ might get open, for example. Um, so that was helpful to him first off. But then secondly, when pressure was coming along, I mean, I know this wasn't one of Julius's highest assist games for the year. Uh, he only ended up with, I think, four for the whole game. But, I mean, it, it was a great decision-making game for him, I thought. I think that he just did a really good job of, you know, never letting things go that smidge too far, which he has a number of times this year. And that ends with, you know, high turnover totals and all that stuff. He did have three turnovers compared to four assists. But, like, if you take away those one or two early ones, that that ratio looks a lot better. And I think he played a much different game for the final, like, 45 minutes or so of this game, you know, than, than the initial, like, three, four minutes. Um, so, yeah, it was just a great all-around performance for him. I hope that this is a, a telling of things to come because, you know – <laughs> We were so ready to – this is the nature of our show, right? Like we were so ready to last game talk about, oh, well, 
you know, time to fire sale, time to get rid of everybody. I can't believe this team, you know, did this poorly against the Raptors, you know, blah, blah, blah. And not to say that the Raptors weren't basically full strength, but, you know, it's it, now to see them win a game like this, I'm thinking like, you know, conversely, they're still just one decent run away from being back in the, you know, the playoff picture again. And, you know, in the thick of it, not just like on the fringes as like a potential 10 seed, but like in the conversation for like a top six seed again, uh, maybe like six, seven, maybe five, something like that. So that they're not too far off from that. So, you know, if Julius can make this for real and if RJ can make this for real, we might be having different conversations over the next few weeks. Yeah. And it's, it's just going to be how they incorporate all the guys when they come back. Right. Like what, like things that work now, will they continue to work when Kemba's there? Or, I mean, R- Rose is, is a little bit further away. Um, will, will Grimes stick in the rotation? Like there are all these these interesting questions in terms of like the cascading effects of, of one guy coming back and taking on a role. I mean, it's like Kemba like really got going, I think, because of the people who were out. And that allowed him to say like, hey, go be Charlotte Kemba. And RJ got going because Julius and all these guys were out and they were saying, hey, just go, go be RJ Barrett. Go like against if I'm remembering correctly against Oklahoma city, I don't think he started off shooting that well. And then he, he had time to get in rhythm. It wasn't, Oh, you started over four. You're not touching the ball for two quarters. And Tibbs is only going to play you 22 minutes. It was, we need you just keep shooting and you can, you can fight through those slumps. And, and when you don't have that luxury anymore, uh, can you continue to do that? That, that, that takes me to two guys who um, I think both need to step up a little bit. And that is Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, uh, Alex. I know. I know you were you were telling me pre-show that you thought Obi just should have gotten more of a chance. I agree with you. I, I feel like he was quiet in nine minutes, but maybe that wasn't enough time for him to really really get going. Uh, Emmanuel quickly, decent game, eleven points, twenty-two minutes, but just three for ten. Did go four for four from the foul line. I feel like it's just been. I mean, the Rockets game aside, he's had that was like his one efficient outing in the last eleven. I feel like those two have to recapture some of the magic that they had earlier in the season. And, and to me, it's an interesting reflection point when evaluating both of them, right? Because their whole careers, we've done it in the context of Derrick Rose. And I feel like Derrick Rose is, is, is sort of the babysitter, the, uh, the human version of, of, of those child leashes for both of them, where, where they can kind of ball out and like play with like a ton of swagger. But then when, when it's not going well, they, they say, all right, D. Rose, take over. And he's, he's able to do it. And they don't have that anymore. And that's not to say, like, like, look, they've, they both had good moments with, with Rose out. Toppin in particular has, by and large, still played very, very well. But I think we're, we're starting to see when, when evaluating those guys, and I know, um, at least for me, I was very much on the bandwagon of, like, quickly being the Knicks' top prospect. And, and the counterpoint to that was, all right, let's see him in, like, a stressful environment because he's played in basically the best-case scenario, with, like, in the context of the best bench in the NBA. And now he's getting some of that stress. And not that he's not that he sucked or he struggled, but he has not been the same guy in terms of efficiency. Yeah, I, I agree in terms of efficiency, which is a little concerning. I mean, he had it has now reached the point where, you know, it's starting to seem more like a like an actuality rather than just a or like a trend rather than just a streak sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Um because his numbers aren't great so far in the season. Like overall from the field, 33.7 from three point, you know, it's, that's a far cry from where he was last year. I mean, last year he was at about the same in field goal percentage. So no, no real nits to pick there, but the three point percentage is down like, like a full, almost 4%, 5% from last year. Um, 
so it, that's not great. You know, you don't want to see that coming from him, especially when most of his shot died is three pointers. I, you know, I do think that maybe with him, it comes down to like what Tibbs said about RJ a few weeks ago, which now I'm starting to think was maybe less of an insult than we thought at the time. It was kind of just more like advice, you know, of like, Hey, get, get back in the gym, put up more practice jumpers, you know, like we haven't seen too many photos from, uh, from the beat writers this year of, quickly shooting jumpers next to a garbage can after after the game is over and all that stuff. Um, so maybe that he just needs to get more in with that. Maybe it's just a mental thing and he just needs to start seeing a few go through to kind of light himself back up again. But yeah, I, I agree. My only thing that I will say that I think works in his defense overall as a player is that he doesn't let that ever change how he plays, which is good. Um it maybe has sapped his confidence a tiny bit. Like there were definitely some times in this game where it seemed like he was a little too hesitant. And then other times where it seemed like he was overcompensating, you know, to try to create a shot for himself. One in particular was like, there was this transition sequence with him and Obi against, I think Turner. And first off, like Clyde noted this, like Obi waited a little too long or sorry. Uh, or yeah, Obi waited. No, a little you too long. Right. To throw, yeah. yeah. He waited a little too long to throw it quickly. Cause then quickly could look for him for a lot behind the defense. Um, but then quickly did get the ball. And then, you know, instead of trying to do something a little more creative, he just kind of like sprinted to the three point line to try to take a, a three pointer real quick when it's like, Hey, you could have just reset the offense there. You know, at that point, if you're confident that, that you're not going to get an easy look there, try to reset and get something better than just sprinting to the three point line to take a, a very rushed, you know, open gym jumper. Um, so, you know, there was stuff like that, but uh, overall, on defense, I thought that his perimeter defense was part of why the Knicks were able to close this game so well. Um, you know, part of why they were finally able to contain that All NBA duo of uh, of Sykes and uh, Washington. Um, you know, the and and sort of curtail their uh, scoring efforts because those guys went for. Geez, it's just it gets crazier every time I look at those two went for thirty nine points combined on. 14 of 32 shooting, um, which is just wild stuff. But, um, you know, so I think that that's the biggest, the biggest plus for me for quickly still is that unlike another guy on the team, which maybe we can push the conversation this way, because I don't have too much more to say on Obi other than what you said. Like, I just think he needed a little more playing time in this game. I think he's actually been playing pretty well lately. It just hasn't been quite the same spark plug without Derek Rose out there running with him. But the guy who, is letting his offense adversely affect everything is Evan Fournier. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, since I'm allergic to Fournier, clearly I'll throw it to you real quick, just to uh, what did you think of Fournier's game? Cause I honestly walked out of this one completely unimpressed with him. You have uh Fournitis. Um But yeah, <laughs> I, I also, I, I also, <laughs> I also uh, didn't, didn't love it. I uh, had uh, two good defensive possessions in the first half and that was, that's pretty much it. I honestly, I don't really have more to say than that. He just, he looked, I don't, he, he almost looked like he was sick in this game. Like he, he just played very lethargic, which is a shame because I thought if nothing else, he'd, he'd been a lot better about playing with force, whether a shot was going in or not. And that's again, similar with Julius, like all, all you, all you can ask for is a process to be good, whether the shots go in or don't, that's the sort of up to the basketball gods. But I, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to transition to, uh, to a happier topic. And if you want to circle back and you get over your allergy, we can do that. But <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, uh, eight points, eight boards in 25 minutes, uh, no steals and blocks, but I, I think, uh, those stats, uh, belie what was a, a fantastic game for him. 
Uh, we were we were talking about it a little bit pre-show, just the the physicality that he played with um, guarding Sabonis and Miles Turner. I mean, particularly, I think it was it was the first play of the game that I noticed on him, like where he he stalled up Sabonis in the post. Sabonis had to sort of do a jump pass out to the corner, got it back on the wing, isolation on Mitch, and Mitch just sticks right with him to the point that Sabonis fell down and ended up committing a shot clock violation. And, and then you, you fast forward to the fourth quarter on the other end of the floor. I mean, he, he just had this fantastic sequence where he he had like a triple tip for an offensive rebound, kicked it out to, I believe it was IQ. IQ missed the shot, got another rebound, got it to IQ again. IQ got fouled, uh, probably, or, or, or should have been called a foul, was not. Um, and then at the very end of the game, had another play where he guarded Sabonis really when it led to a good sequence where quickly helped on Sabonis. RJ switched onto Sykes, forced a miss. Uh, long-winded way of saying, I just, I love the way that Mitch is moving. And I think we're finally seeing the dream, right? The the integration of his strength and his his old speed. Like tonight was, I think, the first night that that vision was fully realized for me, at least. And it, it looked really, really good. Yeah, beefy Mitch meets slim Mitch, right? Like, I guess I just described a slim Jim. I don't know. Yeah, that's, what, um, that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah. <laughs> Snap into a Mitch Rob. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I I love Mitch's game too. I thought he was really good. Um, for everything as you said, I also think that it was important to see him sort of get the better of a matchup with Miles Turner, which was nice to see. It seems like I mean, I, I'm sure everyone can vividly remember like one of the earlier parts of the season was miles turner torching mitch for seven three-pointers because mitch just like couldn't hang with him and turner you know he got a couple open looks from three in this game and didn't hit either of them so you know he went oh for two but i kind of thought that this was like the first game where mitch with the help of his friends you know because like rj obviously was cooking him on uh on offense you know and I, you know, the, the Knicks were doing a pretty good job of sort of baiting him into fouls. He did finish with five personal fouls for the game in 33 minutes. Um, but Mitch, I thought, did a good job of, like, really just taking ownership of that matchup and saying, you know, he didn't even put up stats, really. Like, Mitch only ended up with, you know, eight points, eight boards, no blocks, no steals. So, like, on the defensive scorecard, for as much as you can measure it just via counting stats, he didn't really do much, but... When you watched him on the floor, he just seemed determined to to take Turner out of the game um, and Sabonis or whoever he was on at that given moment. And he really did a great job of protecting the paint, just sort of walling things off and using his athleticism to his advantage to really stay in front of pretty much anybody that the defense uh, – or sorry, that the offense could throw at him on defense. So uh, I loved everything from Mitch in this game. I I agree. I You know, I, I think we've seen flashes of this in some of the – the huge quarters and whatever that he's put up or huge halves so far this year. But this was probably one of the first like end to end fantastic games where he didn't really look phased by, you know, the amount of minutes or, or anything throughout the whole game, um, which just like it was for Julius, you know, playing 39 minutes coming off COVID protocols. It's also pretty impressive for Mitch, you know, playing 25 minutes coming off COVID protocols to look that great. So I, I hope we get to see more of it going forward with him. I also hope we get to see him starting again because, like, particularly in this matchup, I thought for as good as Mitch did against the two bigs on India, I thought that Taj was having kind of a hard time, um, which is an indictment on Taj. Like, Miles Turner is a handful. So, you know, that's not an easy matchup to keep up with. But, you know, I thought Mitch did so much better of a job and just looked so agile and did it against sort of a more traditional big in Turner 
and you know a, a more hybrid big in Sabonis and really just kind of ate both their lunches in this game, which which was great to see. Uh, as a huge fan and, and still believer of Mitchell Robinson, despite the fact that <laughs> I've seen some YouTube comments or whatever saying that uh, you know I hate him or whatever, I I don't. I I've always been rooting for him. I just you know I I do think that it's time for him to start kind of putting forth that consistent effort every game, and and we've seen a lot of things for the good in recent weeks uh, to suggest that that's coming. And I, I'm going to be really happy if he closes this season out strong. Yeah, he was, I mean, I, I want more of this and, and he should want more of this because there are tens of millions of dollars on the line for him for being the guy he was tonight versus the guy he's been most of the season. That's, that's, that's the difference between like an apartment in New York and a, a mansion in, can you get a mansion? You can't really get a mansion in New York, a, a slightly bigger apartment in New York. A mansion um, in the Hamptons. Mansion yeah, there you the go. Hamptons. There you go. Mansion <laughs> in the Hamptons. And, and Mitch, Mitch seems like someone who would enjoy a mansion in the Hamptons. So he, I hope, I really hope for his sake and for our sake that he maintains this. Uh, that is, that is almost it for me in terms of notes from this game. I thought Alec Burks, even though he didn't shoot well, made some really key plays and it's just, my single favorite Nick to watch this year over the course of the season. I never thought I would say that, but he continues to be that guy. Like he had the sick little like hook pass to Taj right at the beginning of the game. He had that reverse spin banker along the baseline. That was just dirty. Again, the pick and roll magic between him and Randall was really fun. Um, The, the, it was a push off, but when he just dropped Tory Craig for that uh, mid ranger, uh, he was, he's just, he just plays a beautiful game. So as always shout out to Alec Burks, uh, shout out to Quentin Grimes who didn't really do much, only three points on two shots in 20 minutes. The one three was gorgeous though. And he had some, some nice moments defensively. I, th- I think that's it for me, Alex. This was, this was an efficient podcast by us. Yeah. I'll just get, I'll just quickly throw in my, my one note to my, my allergen, uh, Evan Fournier here. I mean, one really easy way to let two G League guys in Dwayne Washington and Kiefer Sykes get going and put up 39 total points on you is to just completely not give a crap on defense and basically like hand them open looks thanks to missing rotations and thanks to not fighting over screens and a variety of other things. And that's all that Evan Fournier did on defense in this game, I felt like. And on offense, you know, he's not shooting with confidence. He's not trying to create for others. I mean, I don't know what purpose he serves at this point. You know, to come out of this game with a, what, zero points on 0 of 4 shooting, 0 of 3 from 3, one rebound, two assists, and a steal, and a turnover, in and three personal fouls in 22 minutes. I mean, that's, that's pathetic. Like, what are you getting paid for? I'm just – I'm tired of watching him. Uh, I'm tired of watching this, this version of him. And he's either – I mean – I would say I would support an experiment trying to send him to the bench, maybe in Quickly's place, uh, and see if he can do better against bench units where he can sort of be featured as the guy. But I would not be opposed to just giving him the Kemba treatment either and just saying, you know what, you're out for a while. Just take some time and think about what you've done. Go sit in the corner. Maybe we'll call you back later. But, like, he's right now as much of an active detriment to this team on the court as pretty much anybody has been on a night-to-night basis. And – you know, he's had some flashes, obviously, like the other day, had 20 points, but literally had no other stats to speak of with those 20 points. You know, it's just that's sort of becoming 
his calling card is I can only score and that's pretty much all I can do. And if I'm not scoring, I'm not doing anything for you. And now he's not even scoring. So keep him off the floor. Tibbs, to his credit, did keep him off the floor for most of the second half, which was a breath of fresh air. But I think that's something we need to see more of going forward. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Locked on Knicks. Uh, So thank you all for listening. Tune in next episode when we decide what would be in Mitchell Robinson's Hamptons mansion. Um, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, We're going to – we'll be back with a couple more game recaps this week uh, or maybe just one. I don't know. Yeah, we still still got some mailbag questions left too. We still got some questions to get to from the other day. We might put out a formal mailbag solicitation, so – If you guys are thinking of any questions, feel free to just shoot them our way. Um, But maybe we'll put something out in the morning for that as you're listening to this probably. So go take a look for that on Twitter if you want to ask us some questions for this month. But until next time, thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you all soon. Peace out.